Hey, really glad that you're here today. You know, I've been thinking about uh, next weekend and just what an honor it is to be a part of this church family and how uh, humbling that the Lord has brought us to be a part of this for all of these years. And I just want you to know that we love this church family, love being part of this church family, love what God has done here and that we've been able to come alongside you and kind of arm in arm uh, just serve God together. And so we just really consider it a privilege uh, to do that. And I've just been, been thinking about um, this, you know, 30 years of, of celebration. And so I just felt like the Lord's just kind of been changing my heart. And so um, I just want to extend uh, an invitation that you can wear your Dodger uniform, okay? So only that one Sunday though. So anyway. Uh, hey, I want you to get your note-taking sheet out this morning. You got one when you came in. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, kind of that latter half of the Bible. So if you're, you have a physical Bible or if you have a digital Bible, just go ahead and find uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're gonna dive into that in just a moment. But first, uh, I wanted to take just a couple minutes and bring you up to date. Uh, you know, every once in a while we have these moments in a service, we just call, call them a family moment where it's kind of like gathering around the kitchen table and kind of uh, keeping you up to date, giving you some news and some information uh, that you need. And so I wanted to do just a little bit of that today uh, to share with you an update of where we are financially uh, as a church. All through this year, uh, kind of in late last year through this year, I've been just kind of giving you updates every few months of what's been going on because we're all facing the challenges culturally and economically through these COVID years. And I know we all personally feel it. And so I wanted to share it with you as well where the church uh, is at. So back in the spring, uh, I shared with you that at the beginning of 2022, the beginning of this year, uh, we saw a significant decline in, in giving. And we realize, you know, in the result of what's been happening these couple of years, um, it was somewhat expected to see that, uh, but we began to experience those kinds of things. And I invited you at that time to pray and respond as God was kind of moving your own heart. Like what, what could each of us do in this? And many of you did that and responded that way. And we were able to make some of the shortfall uh, during the months of April and May. And I just want to say thank you Thank you for your willingness to invest in God's kingdom. Thank you for your generosity as it allows us to reach people in their moments of challenge and to speak hope into, into so many. And so we're just so grateful for that. And while we were able to gain some financial ground before the summer, uh, these last three months have been challenging for everybody. For, for you, for me, for the people that we come in contact with, our economy and the inflation, as, uh, as Tommy was even talking about, has hit all of us. And we have felt those same economic and inflation challenges in the church as well. And as I talk with other pastors uh, around the country, uh, nobody is immune from this. Uh, just a week or so ago, I was had a Zoom call with a pastor who, uh, kind of leads a large church in Kansas City. And he was saying they have been hit so hard financially during this time. And so we have felt that same kind of a, of a pinch. And so I wanted you to just kind of know where, where we stand. So compared to last September of 2021, so during this, this whole 12 months, uh, our giving is, is 170,000 less than it was one year ago. Now, that's not a sudden thing. 
but it's been the progression over these past 12 months. And we have continued to make ongoing adjustments to our spending and to our budget. And our staff team, I have to tell you, they, they are amazing in being a good steward of God's resources. And I've shared before that we keep a reserve fund that's helped us navigate these kinds of shortfalls. We've reduced our expenses to adjust for change in the new climate and really in the new reality that we are in. But I wanted to take a moment to share that with you, but also to give you some perspective in how we begin to see these kinds of challenges. Because you may hear that and go, oh, it's just like it's discouraging. And, and again, there is that challenge to it, but it can also be seen as an opportunity for us to engage with God and live in a place of obedience and trust. And so while finances have, have struggled, we've seen God provide and move in ways that are just exciting to see and that are challenging for us in that good way. It was like, wow, look at, look at all that God is doing as he brings life and growth to us. If you look around this room right now or afterwards, if you look around the lobby, you know what you're gonna see? You're gonna see faces of people who over these last months have have become a part of our new life family. In fact, you may sometimes on Sundays look around and go, man, there's a lot of people I don't know because some of you have taken the step to, to kind, of, kind of move into this home and this family to find out what God has for you. And those are exciting things to be a part of. Our food pantry is providing vital food and resources daily to greater numbers of people than we ever have before. We have a counseling ministry here that is uh, led by Marilyn Schroyer. She is an amazing counselor and some of you have connected with her. Um, that's actually gonna be expanding and we're gonna add another day or, or a day out at our Patterson campus one day per week. And that's really to come alongside people who are struggling with anxiety and fear and challenges. I also want you to know that during this season, we have never faltered in consistently giving to missions and outreach, both locally and internationally. And I know many of you are taking steps to engage in a life group or ministry. Yesterday here on this campus, we had a men's breakfast and a women's breakfast. I know many of you were here for that. To see God work in that, man, we love seeing God's heart drawing us close to himself. Our student ministry had a powerful launch this week and our kids' life groups start this week as well. So we realize that God is at work right here, right now, and we all have a part in this. So I wanna ask you and challenge you to prayerfully consider taking that step of obedience and trust to live generously. Some of you have already taken those steps before, and again, wanna say thank you for that. Some of you maybe have never stepped into that, never given back to God. Wherever you are in your journey of faith and generosity, I wanna encourage you to trust how God is leading you. Like last week we even looked like, what's the next right step? And what would that be for you? What is God inviting you into? Because this isn't about guilt, and I hope you don't feel that, that is not my heart at all. It's, it's to share with you where we're at, but it's also to invite you to a place of obedience and faith in God. I've said this before and I truly believe that giving our tithes and offerings to God is not about what he wants from us, but about what God wants for us. And he wants each of us to recognize that he is our source of all things. He's our provider and he's our protector. So in this coming week, in the next coming weeks, um, I wanna just challenge you to just spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, how do I respond to this? What are you inviting me into? 
Because during times like this, we often close down, right? <laughs> We're in fear and so we hold back. And yet, God's inviting us to live with open hands and to trust him more because we can rely on him and we can respond with confidence and hope knowing that he is our provider. So would you bow your heads with me before we dive into the message? Father, thank you for this church family. And thank you, Lord, for hearts that are, that are generous and tender and sensitive towards you. Lord, we thank you for providing for us day in and day out, year in and year out. Lord, we just are so grateful for how good you are to us. Yeah, Lord, you, you continually invite us to take steps closer to you, to trust you more, to live in that place of obedience and faith, knowing that as we, as we live that way, as we respond to you in, in giving back to you, Lord, your word says that you will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings we can't even contain. God, we don't wanna miss what you have for us. So Lord, we pray for your continued presence. We pray for your continued provision. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And Lord, as we dive into this message today, Jesus, we want you to be our teacher. We want you to guide us today. We want you to, to touch our own hearts today as we listen, as we respond, as we dive into your word. So we thank you for this time and we give this to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we're continuing this series called After the Amen. And we've been exploring what we do between the end of our prayers, the amen, and God's response, right? There's this tension and, and we're waiting in that. And last week, as I said, we looked at taking the next right step and how that isn't about what we think is right, what we think is good or what we think is next, but what does God think about that? What is he asking and inviting us into? And it really is all about us pursuing Jesus and walking in his ways. Because here's the deal, we are on a journey every single one of us. It's this journey of knowing and following him. And ultimately, he desires us to align our life to his. See, God is a perfect, powerful, all-loving, all-knowing father. And you and I, we're his sons and daughters. We're, the Bible says that we are the children of God. And like kids do, when we start in this journey of following after Jesus and we begin to pray, our prayers often reflect that, that childlike uh, journey that, you know, that, we, that we begin on. And so a lot of our prayers center around, you know, give me God this and give me God that and bless me in this and bless me in that. And it all tends to be kind of me-centered in that. But at some point in the journey, if we keep pursuing him, we begin to align our hearts more and more with his ways and his desires and less of our own. And that's growth in this inward journey. And today, as, as we dive into this, we're gonna see how God chooses to work. Because I don't think this is gonna come as a surprise to you. God most often chooses to work in ways that are very different from what I expected. Have you found that? It's like, you pray, it's like, this is what I want. It's like, well, God's doing something different there. And so we're gonna look at kind of how that works and how do I respond in that? Do you ever use your map app on your phone? It's probably one of the most uh, used apps on, on my phone. I mean, we have email and texting, but the map is right up there. In fact, last night, last night we went to have dinner with some friends at their house and we just put it in and so we're following the directions, right? And it's say, at this corner, 200 feet, you know, I want you to turn left. And sometimes I'll even, you know, put Siri on 
And so she can tell me, hey, in 200 feet, you're gonna turn right. 200 feet, you're gonna, you're gonna turn left. Because it helps me get from one place to another by the best route with the fewest obstacles in the best time. And I don't know about you, but when it tells me I'm gonna get there in 27 minutes, I am always trying to beat that, <laughs> right? It says 27 minutes, but man, I bet I can make it 24. And you know, staying within the law, I'm just saying that publicly, staying within the law, but you keep trying to beat that number, right? You, you, you wanna get there. And when you hear you know, that voice saying, you know, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that, or if you've ever had it on when you're going down the freeway and it's like, there's an obstacle up ahead, you know, and here's an alternative route, you, you can see that. And what I love about it is there's no wondering, there's no gray area, there's no hoping this is the right turn. Siri just tells me what is coming and when to turn. And sometimes I wish prayer was more like that. That I could give my address or give my request to God and he tells me it's gonna take 27 minutes. Wouldn't that be nice? Or, or he says it's gonna take 27 days. But you just know. What you really don't wanna hear is that it's gonna take 27 years, right? You want it to be, but what if God said, hey, this is coming up, I want you to turn here, I want you to make this decision. There's an obstacle up ahead. You can't see it yet, but it's gonna affect you. And it's like, that would be answered prayer and that would be nice. But you already know this. That's not how this prayer relationship works. When we pray, God reminds us, you're no longer in the driver's seat. So you can just slide on over to the passenger side and God reminds us that we are on a journey, a lifelong journey, not a quick trip to the neighborhood store. And he will lead us in this. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I went down with my grandmother to visit some family down in the LA area. And we went on a Greyhound bus. Remember those? I know they're still around, you just don't see them much. And at the time, when I was a kid, Greyhound would have these commercials on TV. And they had this jingle and it went like this, go Greyhound and leave the driving to us. Some of you are like, is Greyhound a dog or a bus? It's a bus, it's a bus. But that was their jingle. It's like, just kind of hop on board and we'll do all the driving. Well, prayer is like if we were going on a trip and we got on the bus and Jesus is our driver and he says, hey, come on, find a place, sit down, get, get comfortable and leave the driving to me. Jesus would say, I'm gonna get you there, but I'm in charge of the journey. And the struggle with that is that we're not very good passengers. We want our hands on the wheel. We want to just drive. And so we struggle letting go and giving up control to God. Because we're not, it's like, well, that's not, that's not the road that I would take. That's not, the, that's not the direction that I would go. And so we want to manage that. And he's saying, I'm going to take you on the journey. I have a good friend who struggles with being a passenger. He points things out to me, like when we're, if I'm driving, he'll say, hey, there's a car moving into the lane up there. And I'll always answer, yep, got it. Been driving for 40 years, I've seen it, you know? Or, or he'll say, hey, uh, shouldn't you turn at this street up here? This is where I usually turn. And I'll go, yep, you do. 
but I turn at the next street and I'm driving. You are not, by the way, I'm not talking about my wife, in case you're wondering. It's, this truly is a friend of mine that, that, that does this. And, and, and maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, man, Dave, I get that. But I'm not a bad passenger, Dave. I'm just surrounded by terrible drivers. And I'm just doing my best to, to help them in this. And that may be true when you're on the road. But when it comes to life, God is the ultimate driver. He's the ultimate navigator. And he is leading us on this journey. He's inviting us to slide over and trust him. But man, it's hard. Because we can laugh about driving and we can, we can laugh about sliding over in the driver's seat. But the truth is when it comes to the real issues, the things that we're praying for, the things that, that affect us deeply, it's like, ah, I, I've prayed, but like, where is God in all this? And we're really trying to figure it out. And so trust is Trust is hard and it's challenging. But I want us to dive into some things today and maybe, maybe we'll leave here today with, with a different perspective and a different heart and a different way of, of bringing these things to God. Not so that we can trick him or manipulate, it's not that. It's so we can truly live in a place of surrender and trust. So write these down, I got three things for you. The first is this, prayer is giving up control. Prayer is giving up control. Now again, we've just kind of been talking about this, but when we pray, we're praying to the one who knows the road, who understands, truly understands the journey. And he has the perfect destination. And I want you to hear this. He has the perfect timing, the perfect timing for us. And prayer is about sliding over and letting Jesus drive. I thought this would probably be a, a, a really appropriate moment to play Jesus takes the wheel, but we're not gonna do that today. See, God may take us on a road that we weren't planning on at all. And there may be stops along the way. There may be pauses along the way. There may be times of waiting along the way that we never anticipated and we don't know what to do with. Because how God is going to get us to our destination, how he's going to answer our prayer is most often different than how we expected it to happen. And maybe you're here today and you think, Dave, that's me. I've been praying for these things. And, and maybe you're even kind of thinking, I must be the only one that experiences this. And I think it's all of us. All of us at times have wondered, what, what's happening here? And it's not just people sitting in this room, but we can actually go back into history. We can go back to, to scripture and to the Bible and see that it's full of real life stories of God answering prayer in a way very different than what people expected. And so I wanna share just a couple of those things, those kind of accounts, those people with you. And the reason is this, I don't want you to feel alone in this. I don't wanna feel alone in this. So let's, Let's kind of get some company around, we've all walked this road together. So in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Joseph, the one with the technicolor dream coat, the coat of many colors, not the earthly father of Jesus. And when he was a teenager, God gave him a dream that at one point his older brothers were going to bow down to him. And Joseph did what most teenage boys would do if something like that happened. He absolutely rubbed his brother's noses in it. 
I told him, you know, one of these days, you guys are gonna be bowing down to me. And so it didn't go well for Joseph after that. His brothers got together and said, he is the most annoying brother ever. What should we do? And this was a hardcore family. And so they looked at each other and their decision was after all this, let's just kill him, right? <laughs> There's a bunch of us brothers, dad's not gonna know, like let's just, let's just take care of him. But cooler heads prevailed. And rather than going to the extreme of killing him, they went to the more minor uh, movement of let's just sell him into slavery. And so they did. And Joseph, you know, is asking God, okay, God, I'm ready for you now to make this dream a reality. You've given this to me. You've showed me what it's gonna be. I'm ready for it to happen. Let's do it. But Joseph spent the next 20 years in slavery and in prison until God brought him out to lead the people of Egypt through a famine. And a few years after that, after all of these years had gone by, his brothers showed up on his doorstep, bowed down to him and begged him for, for food. It came, it came, it happened. 20 plus years later. And we read it in the Bible in about five minutes, but it was a long wait. And I'm sure there were moments when Joseph was praying, God, how are you gonna fulfill your promise? How are you gonna do what you showed me all of those years ago? There's another guy in the New Testament, his name was Saul, and early in his life, he's persecuting Christ followers, and one time he's on the road to a place called Damascus to do more damage to those who called on Jesus, and Jesus actually steps into the scene, changes his life, literally changes his name, Saul became Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he gave him a new mission. And he says, I'm gonna use you to go out into the world and share the gospel, the good news about me. And Paul gets so excited about this. It's like, yes, this is what God's gonna do. So he starts making waves and he starts proclaiming Jesus and there's this uproar and chaos. There's like riots that happen. And he faced such strong opposition that God sits him down on the sidelines for 12 years. And I'm sure there were moments when Paul's praying, hey, well, what happened to what you told me? I, I'm ready now, so let, let's go. You said you were gonna use me, so let's get the ball rolling here. Let's do something about it. But you know what Paul's doing? Sitting in his hometown, working his job, making tents, doing life, talking to his neighbors about Jesus, 12 years. It was part of the journey. And God said, Paul, Joseph, just slide on over, because I'm driving. And I've got a destination that you can't see. So trust me. Let me give you one more. Mary, mother of Jesus, probably dreamed of getting married from the time she was a young girl. Probably prayed, God, I'm getting ready. Would you bring along the right guy? Because I, I see a family in my future. And she finds herself pregnant and unmarried. And I'm pretty sure she had never planned on giving birth to the savior of the world. And I'm pretty sure she wasn't planning on being a virgin when all this happened. And I can just imagine her saying, God, this isn't, this isn't what I prayed for. This, this wasn't the journey I thought that I would be on. The Bible is full of stories of real people 
And God answering prayer in a very different way than expected. And what we're learning in this series, what I'm learning in this series, it's not just about trusting in God's miracles. And it's not just about trusting that he will do things on my behalf, even though he does. He's inviting us to trust him, period. Not trust him to do this, just trust him. To trust his character, to trust who he is. And it's a big step. That's why this, we say this journey is all about finding and following Jesus because it doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey of learning how to trust. And if you and I sat down for a coffee and you might say, Dave, how, how do I do that? How do I trust God? I would probably start by telling you, you're not the first person to ask that question because I've asked it too. And not even us, but going back to even when Jesus walked on this earth, the religious leaders of the day asked the same question. Jesus was doing miracles, teaching in a way that no one had ever experienced before. And he was saying things that were disconcerting, saying things that were causing them just all kinds of internal issues. Like Jesus was saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except by me. He was telling them, I'm the savior. And at times he was, he was forgiving sin and they were going, hang on a second. So the leaders stopped him and said, you can't keep saying these things without a miracle. You've got to prove it. And truth be told, we would, we would do the same thing. I mean, if you went home this afternoon and you're sitting at home watching the 49ers beat the Seahawks or whatever it might be, and you're, you're doing that and, and there's a knock on your door and you open the door and there's this guy standing there and he says, hey, I just wanted to introduce myself. Um, I'm the savior of the world you'd probably be slowly making sure your security screen door was locked, right? You'd probably say, well, that's nice, but, but show me some proof. So I want you to see how Jesus responds. Now we're gonna get to Matthew 11. We're gonna be kind of dancing around it for a minute. But in Matthew 12, that scenario came up and here's how Jesus replied. He said, only an evil adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now Jesus is using this, this Old Testament account of a man named Jonah. If you're familiar with Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale, whatever you want to call it, and his journey to redemption in that. But Jesus wasn't really kind of going towards the story of Jonah. He was using that as this picture of three days and three nights. And he was really coming back to them and saying this, you want things your way and you want them on your timeline, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you the miracle you want. I'm going to actually bring you the proof, but it's not going to happen today. But one day, one day, not too far from now, I'm going to actually go to a cross and die and be buried. And three days later, I'm going to rise again and bring life to all who believe. I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to answer your request, but it's not going to look how you thought it was going to look. And Jesus is saying, so scoot on over because I'm going to drive this and it's going to be in my way and in my time. So write this down for number two. God's answers often look different than my expectations. See, God doesn't answer our prayers like my map app 
sending me turns in advance and showing me the obstacles ahead. Instead, he invites me into this journey with him and he's in the driver's seat. And I wanna give you one more account from the Bible to bring this closer to home for us. It involves a guy who just happened to be Jesus' earthly cousin. And you can read about their connection in Luke chapter two. His name that we know him by is John the Baptist and he had to wrestle through God's ways and timing. And if you don't know who John the Baptist was, here's a quick bio. His whole life, even the prophecies about him before he's born, is that he's gonna point people to God and prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus. And he tells people, repent, which means to turn around and move towards God. Prepare your hearts because the Messiah is coming. And one day, Jesus approaches John and, and John knows this is the Messiah. This is the one who was sent, who has come. Now he knows Jesus. He's in his earthly way, he's related to him as a cousin, but it's that recognition, this is the one that God has sent. And Jesus comes to John and says, I want you to baptize me. And look what happens in Matthew uh, chapter three. John tried to talk him out of it. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agrees to baptize him. This is the pinnacle of John's, really his whole life. He gets to come alongside the Messiah. And he's been saying things like, he must become more and I must become less. His life was all about putting the spotlight on Jesus. So this day is huge. Here's the Messiah. And more than that, when he actually baptizes him, he hears the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There was no doubt who Jesus was. No doubt that he's the Messiah. And John gets to live it and experience it. But shortly after this, John has a crisis of faith because God's not answering his prayers the way he expected God to do it. See, John keeps pointing people to Jesus and he keeps saying, he's the new king. He's bringing a new kingdom and his new kingdom is gonna be marked by things like love and hope and peace and brand new life and freedom. And he keeps saying this new kingdom is gonna operate in a way that is completely different from the rest of the world. That's what the Messiah has come to bring. Now it's a spiritual kingdom but this is his message. And here was the rub. There was a local king and his name was Herod. And Herod kept hearing these messages about a new king and a new kingdom and a better king and a better kingdom. And this king doesn't like it. So he's like, you gotta stop doing that message because I'm the king. And so in his frustration, and Herod was evil and pretty, pretty messed up, he imprisons John because he's had enough of this talk. Now put yourself in John's shoes. He's thinking, man, I saw the Messiah. It was Jesus and I baptized him and I heard the voice from heaven. And I thought, man, the new kingdom's gonna take off. But now I'm sitting here and I'm arrested and I'm in prison. I'm doing my part, I'm preparing the way, but this is not how it's supposed to go. Now, if you're there in Matthew 11, I want you to look at these first few verses, starting at verse two. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And we're gonna pause there. Can you feel his confusion? It's like he's saying, 
Jesus, I've said it's all about you, and it is, and I've said it's all about your kingdom, and it is, but I didn't think it was gonna be like this. I thought things were gonna go differently. I thought it would get better at this point. I I thought, man, we'd just be, you know, just kind of rolling on, and the new kingdom would be coming. Like, what is going on? And I think underneath that, have you ever heard that phrase, the question, the question behind the question? Like you're asking, are you really the Messiah? But here's the question behind the question. Jesus, are you truly good? And if you're truly good, are you truly powerful? Because it seems to me that if you're truly good and truly powerful, that you'd be answering my prayers right now to get out of prison and things would be different right now. And yet, here I am. Have you ever been there? Jesus, the Bible says you're, you're good and you're powerful. And I hear people talk about it. And the pastor talks about it. But if you're truly good and you're truly powerful, why am I here right now? Why am I going through this? Why aren't things different? Why haven't you rescued me? Why haven't you cured the cancer? Why haven't you taken care of this issue? Why am I struggling financially? Why am I struggling in my marriage? And we wrestled through all those things and we think, God, where are you in this? And Jesus has something to tell us. And we're gonna see it in John's story. Write this down for number three. I can trust God's ways even if I don't understand how he's working. Here's, John, here's Jesus' answer back to John. Look at Matthew 11, verses four through six. Jesus told John's followers, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and what you've seen, that the blind see and the lame walk and those with leprosy are cured and the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now that last line is just kind of odd. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Like what's going on there? Well, you need to know that this this kind of message that Jesus sends back, he's actually quoting from the book of Isaiah, two different parts in Isaiah. And Isaiah said that the Savior, the Messiah, is gonna do all of those things, blind seeing and deaf hearing and dead come to life, and it's happening. But there's one little part that Jesus leaves out. And if you went to Isaiah 61, and you don't need to do that right now, but you can see that, you know what this Messiah is also gonna bring? Freedom to the prisoners and set the captives free. And Jesus leaves it out in his message to John. Now John would have known these words from Isaiah from the time he was probably a little kid because he lived and breathed what the Messiah Jesus would himself bring. And I think maybe in this, Jesus is giving John a nod, maybe a little bit of a verbal cue. And he's saying, John, that's not how I'm gonna answer this prayer of yours. John, you're blessed if you don't put your faith in miracles, if you don't put your faith in healing, if you don't put your faith in in a timely release, you're blessed if you put your faith in me. And that's the question for us. Can we surrender to God's ways and methods? 
Can we trust what he's doing because we can see him at work around us even if we don't see how it's working out in us right now? I think Jesus, if he could have gone into that prison and sat down face to face with John, I think he would have said, John, I know this is hard. I know it seems like you received a sentence you didn't deserve and you didn't want, but I want you to look up and I want you to look around. People are being healed. People are finding life and hope. The deaf hear and good news is being, is being preached and bringing life. And I think Jesus would look John right in the eye and say, just because you don't feel like I'm working in your life right now doesn't mean I'm not working. John, this might not end the way you want, but it will end in the final count for God's glory. And that's exactly how it played out. John ended up losing his life. But ultimately, God's way and his, his glory was, was made manifest in that. And the journey we're on may not be what we expected. In fact, I can guarantee that because God is bringing about his way, his will. And in this world, his desire is for you and I to draw close to him. He wants to do a deep work in us. His desire is to make us holy, which means to be set apart for him. And for you and me, God sees you and God hears you and God loves you even when you don't understand how he's working. And part of deepening our faith is choosing to trust in God's character, not to put our hope in God answering the prayers exactly how we wanted him to, but to put our trust in the fact that God is good and loving and strong and he will answer. But sometimes his how and our how are not the same. So as we come to a close, I have a question, a challenge for you. What do you need to release to God today and say, God, your way, not mine. What is it you need to just open your hands to and say, man, I want to grab the wheel. I want to manage this. I want to control this. Your way, not mine. Where do you need to slide over to the passenger seat and trust Jesus? Are you willing to take that step? Even a small inch towards that? to surrender, to learn from him and what he desires to build in you rather than answering how I want it. See, we want a certain outcome, but do you ever think in the midst of that, maybe God wants to teach me humility. Maybe, wa maybe God wants to teach me to, to love selflessly when I just like it, something to be done or over. Maybe God wants to teach me forgiveness or patience. Maybe God wants to teach me how good he really is in the midst of uncertainty. Maybe God wants to teach me to depend on him like I have never depended on him before. But this circumstance is what's driving me to him. It's still hard. Man, I still want it done like my way sometimes, just like the map. But I'm learning to trust him in the journey. The Apostle Paul wrote this, and we know that in all things, we know, we know, we experience, we've experienced God's goodness, that in all things, he works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Would you pray with me today? 
Lord, we sit here in this room and God, some of this is so hard because we just want the answer. We just want the solution. We just want, we just want the miracle. And so we cry out to you. And your heart is for us. Your desires are, are for us. You are good and you are powerful and you are able. Lord, today, we're wanting to take those steps towards trust. Trusting in you period. Not in whether you answer a certain way, not in whether you come through in a certain way, but just trusting you, period. Knowing that in this journey of knowing and following you, your desire is to make us holy, set apart for you. So we trust you to build into us and teach us and shape us more into your likeness. And Lord, we know that you're gonna use the circumstances of life to accomplish that. So we keep praying and we keep coming and we keep trusting in your will and your way. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand with me? I've asked Mike to come and uh, we're gonna do the last, just a little kind of reprise of the last song we did in worship. And the song is called Surrender. And I want you just to make it your declaration today of how you're gonna respond to Jesus. Mike, lead us in that. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you, all to you. Sing it out. And I surrender all to you, all to you. Surrender is not a statement of weakness. It's actually a move of courage and faith that you believe in the one who created you. You believe in the one who called you. You believe in the one who gave his life for you. Surrender is coming to that place going, God, I'm trusting you, following you. And I'm praying for you this week. But you take those situations and circumstances and you come to a place where you can live with open hands saying, I'm yours, God, every step of the way. And when we live in those kinds of places to watch what God builds and strengthens in us, and nothing can take the place of that. There's no shortcut. I'm telling you, it will do something deep in you. So, hey, I wanna just thank you for coming and being part uh, of this New Life family. Thanks for coming and worshiping today. Make sure you check out some of the things. If you're new to New Life, go by our starting point. But thanks for being here today. Have a great week. You're dismissed. <laughs>